Good morning. Welcome back. We've been taking time the last couple of weeks to look at John's Gospel, his account of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the events that he chose to record in order to help us to believe and in believing in Jesus, find life. Last week, we were thinking about why it is that so many of our stories overlap, why our lives so often live out the same lyrics and melodies of thousands and millions of others, why there's so much similarity in each one of us. Part of the answer we discovered was because we have a common author, that Jesus created everything and Jesus created everyone. And if that was the whole Christian story, then think about it. It would be quite remarkable, wouldn't it? It would be quite beautiful. The author and his character, God and his creation, a father and his children living together in peace, in unity, in joy. Sounds idyllic, doesn't it? Us and God right where we're supposed to be. But if God is good and God is loving and God made everything as John claims, then why does our world so often feel so broken? And not even just a little bit, but wrecked. Why are the stories which we share not just stories of endless happiness? Why are they more often than not stories of heartache? of tragedy? Why are they stories that are filled with funerals and weeping? You know, we could, and maybe should, all get together and with one voice cry out collectively, God, you need to do a better job. Because things aren't as we know they ought to be. How broken is the world that we live in? Take a moment and answer these questions for yourself. What do you think is the biggest problem in our world today? The biggest issue facing humanity? Is it wars? Is it disease? Is it greed? Is it climate instability? What do you think it is? Zoom in a little bit. What do you think is the biggest problem in your own life or the life of those nearest and dearest to you? Is it health issues? Is it relational issues? Is it financial worries or is it the big one? Is it mortality? Is it death itself? We're going to keep reading in John chapter 1. And we're going to see a little bit of the biggest problem as John sees it. John chapter 1, taking up from verse 9. The true light that gives light to the world, to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, in the world that he had created, and yet the world did not recognise him. He came to his own but his own people did not receive him. The light, who we know is Jesus, 
who made everything, it says, came into the world, and yet the world didn't recognise him, and the world certainly didn't receive him. Now, to my mind, that's, that's strange. That's a weird way of stating what happened. It's, it's a weird way of thinking about what happened. Wouldn't it make sense, don't you think, that when the author came, people wouldn't spot him a mile off? Wouldn't it make sense that when the one who made everything, who could fix everything, came into the world, that we didn't welcome him with open arms, ready to put things back together again? Why? Why that lack of recognition? Why that lack of reception? Well, the clue this week, as it was last week, is in the darkness. Last week, we looked at how the darkness was a symbol, a metaphor, a picture of our ignorance, of how we simply do not know what's going on. But that ignorance doesn't come about in a vacuum. That ignorance in the Bible story has a backstory. And it's a backstory of rebellion, a backstory of rejection. It starts all the way back in page three of the Bible, in Genesis chapter three, when God, the author, and his characters, Adam and Eve, they live together in that perfect, idyllic unity. But it was a good world, a really good world, but a world that quickly went bad. And everything went bad because of a decision that was made. A decision that was made on page three of the Bible that we, the characters, could do a better job than our author. We can do better than you. Do you recognise that sentiment, at least, if not that decision? I think as a world, I think as a society, I think as, as a culture, we have that in us, don't we? We always think that we could do better. No matter who's in power, we think someone else could do a better job. No matter who has the starting spot on the team, we think we or someone else could do a better job. And on page three of the Bible, it's recorded that Adam and Eve were convinced that they could do a better job than their creator. They rejected him. They rebelled against him. And the rest of the Bible could be recapped as a history of rejection. Of men and women and communities and even nations deciding that they could do a better job. Choosing every step of the way to turn their backs, to ignore their author, and their creator. And we think to ourselves, well, we're not too bad. Modern humans have sorted most morality out. We figured out what the really bad things are that people still do, and we tweet about it, and we hashtag about it, and so we know that we're not the bad ones. There are still a couple of rotten eggs, but everything else is generally okay. But whether or not that's a true picture of things, we can discuss that. It doesn't really matter. Because from page 3, from chapter 3 of Genesis and that first rejection, 
that first example of humanity saying, we can do better than you, is also a story of separation. It's a story of people being cast out into the darkness, shut out from the life that we were thinking about two weeks ago, of entering into the desert, into the desolation, into death. And perhaps that sort of story doesn't strike you as being particularly fair. Well, that's not fair, is it? That I should suffer the consequences for someone else's action because there was a rejection that took place all those years ago that somehow I should still suffer the consequences. Let me share with you a picture which I think helps us to understand what's going on here. Imagine your great-great-grandparents emigrated. Imagine they uh, were from one country, one place, but they decided that they wanted to strike out on their own. They were went off in search of, of happiness and uh, fulfilment and a better life for themselves and their family. They sailed the seven seas. Uh, they discovered a new country and they settled there. When they had children and when their children had children, all the way down to you, those children would be from that new place, from that new country. They would have that nationality. Whether you'd made the decision or not, that's what you're born into. You're from that new place. And perhaps you might make the decision that you'd want to go back to the original country, but still, even then, you'd probably have a citizenship test to take in order to be accepted. Well, the sad story of the Bible is that that's sort of what's gone on with us. That humanity rejected God. And they were shifted off, cast out into a new place. And that new place that we all belong to is a place that is cursed. A place that is groaning. A place that is broken and in darkness. It's gone very dark. That is exactly how John describes it here at the start of his story about Jesus. It's a place where God's life-giving light isn't. If I could sum it up, I'd sum it up like this. That God made everything good and we came along and made it very bad. That God said, let there be light and we came along. And we turned off the switch. Now this is where our gut reaction to reject things as false simply because we do not like them, that kicks in. It doesn't sound like the sort of story that we want to believe. It doesn't sound like the sort of story that we want to be a part of. But it does make sense of the world that we live in. It does make sense of why suffering exists and why we feel suffering is so wrong, because that is not how our author wrote the story. But it isn't just a story of tragedy. It isn't just a story of doom and gloom. It's still a story of God loving, of God caring, of God involving himself in human history, isn't it? And all of that leading up to the coming of Jesus. John tells us about this darkness in the context of the coming light. The author still wants to be known. The father still wants to be with his children. 
even if you go back right to the start, when the light went off, when the darkness came in, when the curse was announced, there's still this whisper, there's still this promise in the story that God is going to rescue us, that God is going to bring us back to that perfect world. I asked you at the start, what's most wrong with the world? What's most wrong with your lives and the, the lives of people near and dear to you? Part of this story is acknowledging the fact that those things are bad, that those things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Part of this story I find so encouraging because when life troubles me, when, when life wounds me, I know that it bothers, it troubles, it wounds Jesus even more. That no matter how much I care about the brokenness of this world, our God cares even more. How do I know that? I know that because he's come. He's come. So when you grieve, when you weep, when you lament, know that our God grieves too. But he does so more than just sympathising. He takes action. And I know it's frustrating when someone else acts and it isn't in the way we choose because we think we can do a better job, don't we? But here is the author, the creator, the sustainer, infinitely more wise, infinitely more compassionate, infinitely more in love with what he has made. And he has decided, he has acted in order to put things right. I love the fact that the Christian story doesn't ignore the problem. It doesn't seek to pretend that there is no darkness. It doesn't seek to pretend that the darkness is okay and we can live that way and we shouldn't be bothered by it too much. It confronts the darkness. It confronts the brokenness and the suffering. It calls it out for what it is and it seeks to do something with it. It seeks to do something with the source of that darkness. Like Jesus is being offered to us as a source of life, the Christian story is one of offering us a way to deal with, a way to remove the source of death. The light came, John said, to overcome the darkness. Jesus came to overcome and to reign and to rule over our rebellion. Life came to beat death. And the promise is there right at the start of the story of Jesus that darkness will not dominate. Only light will win out. You know, we have stories in our culture where that sometimes is in the balance. During the lockdown, the kids and I have been enjoying Star Wars films, the new films, the old films. And always in that story, there's this question mark. There's this balance. Which side of the force will win, the dark side or the light side? Will our heroes choose to follow um, the dark, tempting side or will light win and life win out in the end? I won't spoil it, although we can probably guess. 
But you know, that is not the situation we find with Jesus. That isn't the situation we find with the world that we live in. Light comes and light always dominates darkness. As a physicist, I can tell you that with 100% certainty and confidence that when light comes, it dismisses, it banishes darkness. And you know, in the story of Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection, that light shines brightest at the empty tomb. I love how John uses this imagery of darkness to help us to see that in the place that was supposed to be a burial chamber, a place that was supposed to seal and secure death, no death is found, only life. In John chapter 20, he writes about Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb early while it was still dark, while that expectation that brokenness and death had won. But very quickly, she discovers that the tomb is empty. And more than that, she meets the risen Jesus. And Jesus speaks to her by name. And it says this, that Mary went and she announced to everyone that she could that she had seen the Lord. That darkness didn't win. That light came. That death didn't win. That Jesus rose to life again and that life had won out. Jesus put it this way. He spoke these words during his time on earth. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There is only one way through our darkness. That is following Jesus. There is only one way through our inevitable deaths, that is following Jesus. There is only one way that those problems, big and small, which plague our existence can be defeated and dealt with, and that is through Jesus. The light has come because the darkness is a serious problem. And though we might have continued to reject him, the darkness did not overcome that light. And Jesus calls us to follow him in the light of life. Lord God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that you acknowledge what is wrong in our world. You see what is bad, you see what is evil, and you call it out for what it is. You're not trying to paper over any cracks. You're not trying to talk up. Uh, a broken down house. But Lord God, you see it and you name it and you say it and it is wrong. Lord, I thank you that it grieves us when we encounter brokenness. I thank you that it grieves us when we encounter and experience the world as it shouldn't be. Lord, we're encouraged that you grieve all the more. And not just to sympathise, but in order to act. Jesus came to remove the source of death and instead to be a source of life to us. Jesus came. He confronted death. He died because of our rejection, because of our rebellion. But he rose to life again and he offers us now that chance to shift place, to emigrate back to that place of life and abundance, that place that we were supposed to be. To, to acknowledge and to put our hands up and to say, we can't do a better job. We need you. 
Lord, I thank you that none of this hangs in the balance, that we're not on the sidelines in um, wonder with that nervous feeling in our stomach. Who will win at the end of the day? The light has come and it has defeated the darkness. It has dismissed the darkness. It has dismantled the darkness. Lord, help us to see that. Help us to move out of our ignorance into knowledge. Help us as John wants us to, to see and to believe and to find life. Lord, help us to continue to walk in that light. In Jesus' name. Amen.